all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, 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 all right. Now, easy. What's cooler than what's cooler than being cold? What? Ice cold. Ice cold. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We needed more bloopers for Mary. Well, we've got like a whole 15 minutes of me going, what is wrong with my audio? I'll have to pull that from. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what age like fine strawberry wine and what age like milk. I'm Kit. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Izzy. I use CCR pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall related things at Abbey Archives on Twitter. Okay. We are uh, recording this a little bit late because I went to Tennessee last yeah. weekend when we should have recorded. Uh, it's fine. It's okay. We it'd have, be like this sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it'd be like this. I mean, also, we were going to start streaming the game on Friday, but life happens. Life happens yeah. so much all the time. Life we are adults. So we are doing much. what we can. Yes. Yeah, and I don't think I can... I can't do it this Friday either because I have another podcast. <laughs> well, this weekend, maybe? Yeah, uh, so I had to think about it, and um, I realized that, like, we're doing this for fun. We're not doing this right. to get views. Why the fuck does it have to be in the evening? Right. So, like, we can do it in the morning. Who cares? Yeah, I'm good with that. Because then Ben will be able to come watch us. Exactly. Let's do something nice we for Ben. We only care about Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck everybody. Ben's no, got our back. All of you. <laughs> we care about all of you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, actually, no. Fuck everybody. We only care about Ben. Is he not? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But we we care get... about everybody who listens. <laughs> Today, we are reading the first half of part three of Mariel. From chapter 27 to chapter 36. Content warnings include the ocean, near drowning, sanism, insomnia, slavery, one arachnid, fire and fire-related injuries, and the consequences of war tactics, comma, possible suicide. Because we just so don't know. shit happens. Yeah. If it doesn't happen on screen, they might not be gone. As we know. Um... Also, small side note, uh, I want to I want to do a shout out to my friend Joseph, who is a Quebecois, and I was joking with him about Brian Jake's last name, and he got very irate once I showed him, and he's like, it's pronounced Jacques Tabernac, and he went complete Quebecois, uh, complete French, and I was just like, oh, I made him angry, and I had a good giggle over that. So he was like, it should be Jacques. And I'm like, listen, they everyone has told us they pronounce it Jake's. We are just doing what we've been told. I'm sorry. If we are wrong, we are but humble Americans. I mean, he's even said, like, in interviews, like, it's Jake's. Yeah. But, yeah, so it was just like, just <laughs> every time I want to get Joe to go off on a rant, I just have to go like, oh, yeah, Joe, remember Jake's? He's like, it's Jacques. And, you know, then he off, off he goes. <laughs> but I wanted to do a little shout out there. I know that. Uh, Joe doesn't listen to this podcast, but I figured there might be some other person who speaks a French <laughs> dialect who might find that amusing. Um, alrighty, so let's see. Things kick off with Melis meeting the three hairs of the Long Patrol. She's quick to get a proper bandage and medicine on Clary's paw, while he fills her in that he's already been brought up to speed by Sextus. He and his comrades will have been will have the vermin turn tail by nightfall. And can she be in the West Wall in two hours? Beyond the West Wall in two hours. And immediate small little tangent for me right here. But <laughs> it's like, how do the Red Wallers tell time? Because in this world, we, we haven't seen any clocks of any kind. There's no hourglasses. There's no, uh, you know, sundials. There's no water clocks. There's no, like... We haven't seen any method of telling time other well, than looking up at the sun and guesstimating. So, like, in, in books that come after this time period, they have a bell. But how do they tell time? How do they know when to ring the bell? Nah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't actually know how people told time before they had, like, more widespread clocks. Well, there's a, a few different ways people would tell time. 
uh, again, you had uh, hourglasses, you had um, water clocks, where with like, if you look up a Roman water clock, it explains yeah, it better than I can. Yeah, I know what a water clock is. Um, oh, for those who don't know what a water clock is, basically it drips at a very steady period. So like, you can look at how much water is either like in the tank above or in the tank below and you'll know how much time has passed. Um, like, there's other methods. Like, you can look at the sun and get a rough guess at, like, oh, it's close-ish to this time of day. Because before we had wall clocks, time was... You didn't have to be as on time. It was like, oh, be here around noon. Be here around evening. It wasn't like, be here at 6 o'clock on the dot. Because, like, there was no 6 o'clock because there was no o'clock. You know? <laughs> but it's just... It's me being a little nitpicky and it's pointing out one again. Like, this, this book is... I think it's a case of like this book is so well put together like plot character and entertainment wise that every now and then when like these little things pop up about the world that Ryan just doesn't bother to fill out it makes it a little more obvious in books that are written like this well because I want to say right off the bat again as we have been saying every recording of doing this book this book is incredibly well written. It is. It's a very good book and a shining example of a Redwall series. We uh, do not have a lot of comments in this section that have to do with nitpicks. Most of it's just like, well, fuck. <laughs> yeah, we're having fun. We are enjoying it. Um, and speaking of enjoying, our, you've got uh, Han Rosie lets out a whooping laugh as she admires the huge Abby and is gently encouraged to do her laughing outside to not wake up the Dibbins. Clary is swift to action after that. He's unimpressed by the archery supplies, but figures they'll do. He asks if there's a wicker gate to the east. There is. And once he confirms that, asks where the food is. Of course. And she's like me shaking the hairs like, why are you like this? Like the hairs in this book. I, I will say that aside from Tarquin, I genuinely enjoy the trio of hairs. Like Rosie, Time, and Clary. I think they're very good Because these are hairs who are still in the military, yeah. right? The, yeah. So, He's, like, Basil was retired, quote-unquote. Yeah. Right? Tarkin is not a military hair. He's a fucking bard. And bards are bards, you know? <sighs> these are hairs who are militaristic. Everything they do, especially because they know that they are currently in the middle of a war zone, mm -hmm. effectively... Everything they're doing has to have a purpose. They can't mm -hmm. just go fuck off. So, like, they're good. I fucking love them. Yeah. And they do, they definitely, like, redeem themselves later. Um, he leaves the Red Wallers awed at his military efficiency, so much so that Roof forgets to warn of an incoming fire swinger that nearly singes off a poor mole's nose. <laughs> this poor guy. He's just like, hey! You couldn't have called that out sooner? <laughs> yeah. Aren't you a bit late, bainty? Darn fire singer near burn me nose often. <laughs> we should, like, provide a little shot for every time I try and do a mole accent. Thank you, listeners, for putting up with it. It's fun to try and do, even if I'm bad at it. Um, surprisingly, the hares just wanted to take some of the best knives the friar had, not his food. He's reluctant, but time promises they'll bring them back in good shape. To which I put a little his, note of... His vegetable knives. I again. <laughs> to which I temporarily put... I, I temporarily rescind my complaint. <laughs> <laughs> Saxus and Flag take a little break to cool down. Flag is impressed by the hares and hopes they will help, but finds them a bit snooty, especially in their speech. Saxus explains they're Salamandistron hares, trained for battle. They'll know how to help the abbey. And I really find it interesting how, like, Brian finally, he, like, he actually points this out in character in book. It's super interesting that they consider that the hares are very posh in how they talk when, yeah. like, to people who live within Mossflower Wood and not at the Abbey, Abbey dwellers speak posh. <laughs> right. It's like your, your different levels of poshness. It's like somebody who lives, like... There's town, like, there's middle of nowhere, town, and then the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Town and the city are both posh to the person who lives in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But the city is the most posh. Yeah. 
Because, like, I live in a town, you know, three stoplight kind of a thing. Um, But then you'll have people who will get all hoity-toity and snooty about, like, oh, well, at least we're not, like, that little place that doesn't even have a stoplight down the road, you know. Like, we're the fancy ones because we've actually got a McDonald's. Like, fuck McDonald's. McDonald's, McDonald's, ducky fried chicken and a pizza. Fat. Mm, um, we have food at home, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I live in a city, so, like, I definitely am, like, quote-unquote posh. Sorry, I'm fighting with Photoshop for a second here. Okay. Why are uh, you using Photoshop? Because it helps Stop me. Stop fo- it. Because when we start going into our talks and tangents, it keeps me, my brain from... But why are you using, using Photoshop? Because I got it. Because yo-ho, yo-ho, bitch. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the three... The three... <laughs> All right. The three hairs... I'm turning into hot Rosie, is a sea rat now. Ah. The three hairs... Damn it, Izzy. <laughs> the three hairs go out to gather supplies. Staves made of you, an old dead oak to topple. Uh, the branches are still stout and just the right length, too. There's fishing line in the kitchen, too, for whatever they're crafting. Just before dawn, Graypatch is awoken to a pretty cheerful crew of rats. They've run out of rope, but there's plenty of vine and dead grass around, and throwing the fireballs is lots of fun. And I think it's really cute that Brian just has this moment of, like, they're doing destruction, but, like, what? It's, like, it's it's relatable, like, I wouldn't mind, like, chucking fireballs around if, I, if there was a safe place to do it. And I put in the notes here, human, human-like wooshy red thing that make other things go boom. Hey, uh, that's how you get an ADHD person to focus. You give them fire. <laughs> it's like, ooh, it's pretty. I like it. Um, <laughs> uh, Big Fang is the first to spot the hairs watching them over the wall tops. But Grey Patch dismisses them. Hairs will burn as well as the rest. Keep up the barrage until they're overwhelmed. Now, Big Fang does call them rabbits. He does. Which is interesting because we don't ever actually see a rabbit, do we? Not that I'm aware of. There could be in a book that like either I haven't read or don't remember very well, but yeah. to my knowledge, no. We usually yeah. just see hairs. Yeah. Which and is... they get offended if you call them rabbits or bunnies. Yeah, it's like, how do you know they? How do you know they exist if they're not there? It's like y'all were, y'all were flummoxed by the one poor singular beaver. And now you're talking about rabbits when rabbits don't exist in this world. Uh, I'm thinking about it too hard again. Uh, <laughs> it's like I start thinking about things. I can't help it. Izzy and I are world builders. We think about these things. We um, do. Okay. The hair's plan is revealed simple but effective. Longbows, which Izzy, you I were was right. right. Uh, Clary... I was fucking right. <laughs> you got cut Let off. Let it there. be known, I mathed. <laughs> you did it, you mathed. Clary gives the assembled creatures, the three hairs, Mother Mellis, and Flag, a brief refresher on how longbows work before giving an example on how to shoot them. They spot a rat going to light his bundle, and sure enough, Clary nails him. Saxus is shocked all over again by the sudden death. Clary yeah, says, like, Saxus yeah. has, like, a whole moment where he's like, you killed him, he's dead. And Clary's like, good. Yeah. And it was a clean shot. It was quick and simple. It, like, it was quick and to the point, rather than the brutal death that he would have given to, you know, like, if the rats had gotten into Redwall, they would not have given such a quick, clean death. Yeah. Um, let's see. Clary clarifies. Sorry, Clary says yes and sets Saxus to supply the others with arrows. And while he does, Clary clarifies why he shouldn't feel sorry for the rats they kill. Fire is death, and the sea rats only give out death. And at this point in the book, like it's very, very easy, especially with Clary specifically, because Clary is a. Uh, I don't remember what his rank is, but he's, like, the leader of the three hairs. Yeah. Um, and I don't know enough about military to even guess at a proper rank. It, they say it in the book multiple times, and it just completely leaves my brain every time. It, um, yeah. But 
he's the he's the 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 head of the three hairs. He's the one in charge, and so when he starts talking, he is very commanding and very engaging, and it's very very easy to get lost in the story that he's telling here about sea rats. And forget that the vermin have a lot of stereotypes of people of color. Mm-hmm. Like, hearing Clary talk about the sea rats like this, I had to, like, take a step back from the story for, like, a moment to remind myself that the Abbey Dwellers and the Hares are heavily biased in a similar way to white people. Mm-hmm. Like, towards anybody who is different from them. Now, again, these books are very, very black and white, and so they were definitely not written specifically like this but it's the stereotypes and the tropes are there and we have to remember that going forward it's it's a case of i know this is no excuse but it's a case of when these books were written these tropes had not yet begun to be looked at as we look at them now yeah it wasn't the the analysis of these tropes like we didn't have tv tropes back then no like, this wasn't done with any malice at all. Like, I really do deeply believe that. He did not write any of this with malice, like, to no, further these tropes. Not. But it's a case of he grew up with them, didn't question them, and because of that, they show up, and it's just like, oh, right, this, this is something that we don't want to perpetuate anymore. So, like, we'll make note of it here and also be like, hey, don't do this anymore. Don't don't yeah. Don't write these characters like this. It's not, not a good... Not a good look. Um, and in the one book where he tries to, like, subvert it. It ruins it. We'll get to that. Let's not... <laughs> so many promises. <laughs> we'll get to that. Listen, we got sh- that one ask on Tumblr that was like, I love it when you guys make little asides to just yell about cider <laughs> <the outsider> red wall. <laughs> it's like, listen, we're gonna get there. We're gonna oh. get there. We can only read... We are adults with jobs and lives, all right? We can only do so much. I mean, speaking of, like, jobs, like, one reason, Izzy, that I am also doodling right now is that I'm almost done with the Secret Kids and Day project, and I'm going to... I want to finish it today so I can release it tomorrow, so... um, Let's see. But back to the book. Saxtus realizes the hare's jocular attitudes might only be fronts to hide what they really are. And knows deep down, he will never be able to live like they do. To which, like, I put two long notes for this very simple paragraph because it really impacted me where, um, I'm just going to read it verbatim. Uh, this is really good for a variety of reasons. I really feel like Brian and or his editor are addressing complaints from the first three books because here it is laid out. For older readers, we can pick up on these clues, but for the younger readers, these books are aimed at. Putting this right out there is good for them. Yes, killing is brutal and terrible, but it's needed. Necessary sometimes. It doesn't make it any easier for the folks doing the killing. And again, being the Christian, this is the moment where I point out that even God puts a little, like, not loophole, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? He puts an exception to the thou shalt not kill commandment. Where it's like, if you are defending your home, if you're defending your family and your life, you are allowed to kill. Like, he knows that, you know, you can't just not kill. Like, pacifism mm-hmm. is the ideal. It is not the reality. Yeah. And a lot of people like to think that they can be completely pacifist in society. And like, again, ideal. Unfortunately, we don't live in that idealized society. Mm-hmm. And there are terrible people in the world. And I, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but um, for those who played Final Fantasy VIII, there's a place you can go in the game called Fisherman's Horizon, which is like, oh, we're a pacifist society. We don't want you mercenaries here because we don't fight. We talk things out. Well, later in the game, they get attacked by another army and the, the guy who runs the place is like, hey, whoa, 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 we don't fight. Let's sit down and talk it out. And the guy who's at the head of the army is like, why would I talk to you? I'm the one in control here. I've got the power. I can kill you if I want. And that's when the mercenaries come in, you know, like the, the garden comes in, the seeds come in to protect them again. And the guy's like, if you'd never come here, we would never have gotten attacked. And poor Squall's like, we didn't bring him here. We're saving you. You know, and that's when he kind of has a realization of like, yeah, their way of life. I wish everyone could live like this, but you can't. 
That's why people like us need to exist. We don't want to exist either, but we do because we know we have to protect people like you. And it's something that um, this is like a little bit of a tangent, but it, it's yeah. something that uh, really bothers me when it comes to like uh, uh, the politics around protesting. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and like uh, protesting and standing up for yourself and like making the people who have the power know that they can't push you around mm -hmm. because the the idea of a peaceful protest mm -hmm. is an oxymoron mm -hmm. uh because even if you want to be peaceful as the one protesting the people in charge aren't gonna let it be peaceful mm -mm. we yeah in 2020 um during a protest that was in my town um, the protest was peaceful the entire time. Mm -hmm. They The protest got kettled and got shot out with rubber bullets and uh, tear gas canisters. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you have to fight. And that's just how it is. Yep. Again, peaceful is the ideal, but it's not the reality. And to loop it back to the book, I like this paragraph because right off the bat, like at the end here, Saxtus isn't judging them. He's not looking down on them. In fact, he admits to himself he can't do what they do. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have what they have in them to fight like this. But also it doesn't mean he is weak. It just means he's different and they're different and that's okay. Each of yeah, them performs an important role. You go. Sorry. That's okay. basically like each of them plays an important role for their society that they're protecting and living in. Yeah. Like he shouldn't look down on them for what they do because they're important to the world around him. Like he's able to be the way that he is because of them. Exactly. So the sea rats have fallen into complete disarray, running to get out of the range of the longbows. Graypatch furiously tries to call them back and completely loses his temper when Big Fang mocks him for not worrying more about the hares. He tries to light a fire slinger, but has to duck an arrow and gets a scorched foot for his trouble. Of course, this makes Homrosie laugh. Because he's hopping around going, ah, oh, my foot. Ow, 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 hot, hot, hot. Oh, hot, 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 hot. Um... In the orchards, the three old friends, Gabriel Quill, Virgo Mole, and Brother Hubert exchange words of relief at the end of the fire barrage. There's some gentle teasing, and Gabriel suggests that they all go down to the cellars for a sip of some fine beverage to wash away the heat and ash. The other two They're like happily gently agree. making fun of each other about uh <laughs> like, oh your eyes are so red, oh look at you, there's soot all over your nose. Mm -hmm. like, it's very funny. Like Virgo has this really cute line of like Oh, er, scruffy old hoobit. No more fires now, though, er. And it's just... Oh, that he says hoobit instead of hoobit. Hubert, and yeah. Gabriel is Gabriel. Uh-huh. Like, uh, let's see. Just like the little cutes back and... Little cutes, the little quips back and forth. Nor, uh, nor they aren't, neither Virgo. Where's the one? Yeah. Your eyes are all red and smoky. Just, it's very cute. Um... <laughs> Simeon and the abbot overhear and both decide there's room for two more to join them. It's just a cute little moment of like, let's just go get a drink. We've had a rough day. Meanwhile, poor young Cockleburr is left to feed the Ancy Dibbins. Oh, is left to feed the Ancy Dibbins breakfast. They try to refuse, but he says no one goes to play outside until they do. So they give in and eat with just one more little snark. And I and really like all of like these these as we get further and further into the book like we get more and more of these little like quick asides at like the end of chapters yeah of like what everybody else is doing and it's i like the like they're not necessarily fast paced but they're not they don't dawdle yeah, it's like they're not distracting from the plot. They're just little extra supplemental things because I feel like Brian realized that this book is, it's a heavy book, especially for younger readers. Like a lot of heavy stuff happens. Y'all thought Mossflower was heavy. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> and with Dibbins being kept in a dingy, horrible dungeon. Yeah. Um, no, like, it, I feel like these are really well, really well done, really well paced out. Mm-hmm. I like them. I they think... show the, the quote-unquote humanity of everybody and how, like, things continue on mm-hmm. despite everything else. Like, people are still people. And even if there is danger, people still are themselves mm-hmm. at at all times. Exactly. You know? Like, we get this later on with the sea rats as well. Mm-hmm. With uh, Captain Cat's Eyes. Yeah. Like, there's that one little bit of, that one little aside later, and I'm like, this is very humanizing. Yeah. Because, like, even, it's, it's a moment of, like, even the bad guys can have moments of, like, they're just people. They're not good yeah, people. Because, but they're still people. They are, people and people are people and people to a degree like still care about each other in different ways yeah it's and just... are still themselves like it shows that this is like normal yeah for that for that crew yeah like and like maybe the we're... flaw is is that unlike red wallers they can't really empathize with other people being people although the red wallers are guilty of that too depending on certain circumstances but and again, they're unfortunately trapped in their tropes. Exactly. Uh, so we can't entirely blame the Red Wallers. Yeah, uh, we can't. And, and I dislike, uh, like, the way that the Sea Rats are written, it's like we can blame them for their actions because they're choosing to do this. But there's mm-hmm. also always those illusions that it's like, well, what else are we supposed to do? Right. It's like we, we can't farm. We don't know how. We can't do any other trade because no one will trust us. You know, it's like so, you, it's a, it's again to loop back to the medicine foxes. If medicine foxes are so distrusted, how have they survived this long as medicine foxes? Exactly. Who, and it. Who there, are the traders? A... Who are the, like, who are the entertainers? Like, you tell us that, like, they're jumping on these stereotypes, but we never get an example of the positive version of those things that yeah. built those stereotypes to begin with. You know, like, oh, yeah. it's it's a, it's a medicine fox. We can let them in. They're a little wily, but they'll help us out. But then it's like every single medicine fox is a traitor, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, especially the sea rats, like, just to specifically focus on the sea rats, yep. have skills. They're excellent fishermen, excellent sailors. They're excellent cartographers and star map and star readers. They can mm-hmm. read maps. They are excellent at what they do. Mm-hmm. But nobody will give them the time of day to utilize those skills in different ways. Mm-hmm. I... If you're going to call me a thief, okay, I'm going to be a thief if you're not going to give me something else to do because every time I try to do something different... Mm-hmm. All right, to pull from a more modern example, Zootopia, Nick Wilde. Oh, God, yeah. Nick Wilde, he said, if if, if all they're ever going to see is a sly, tricksy fox, then why should I even bother being anything else? He gave exactly. up because there was no point not to give up. There was no point trying to be more because society would never let him be more than that. You know, I know we don't like Zootopia anymore because ACAB, but <laughs> I still like well, it. Well, I mean... Um, there's Zootopia is a confused film. It doesn't know what what lesson it's trying to tell. Yeah. The main thing that I have taken away from Zootopia is that stereotypes do not define you. Yeah. And that you can do what you want to do and the the way that other people treat you and like try and push you into little boxes mm-hmm. shouldn't stop you. Yeah. Because like A cab Judy should not have become a cop, but, like, she's a rabbit. Rabbits don't become cops. Yeah. So she was breaking and, out of that stereotype there. Yeah. And Nick was a sly, like, sly fox because no one would let him be anything different. And then he becomes a cop. But also, like, he's like, I really oh. wish they hadn't become cops, <laughs> but you know. Back with Mariel and Danden, they reach the bottom of the pool. Danden keeps a sharp eye on the well-fed and relaxed lobster. Like, I actually still really like that plan because they were like, we aren't going to try and hurt or kill a lobster. We're just going to feed it so much it'll leave us alone. Yeah. The swallow is pinned beneath two heavy rocks. Mariel just manages to move the smaller of the two. The silt and sudden noise spooks the lobster and it dashes out. Things go wrong right away. 
The sparrow slips away from Mariel and Dandan ends up pinned beneath the lobster, losing his grip on the sword. And also kudos to Dandan here. He reacts very smartly and very well. I like, I like Dandan a lot. He's a good character. Mm -hmm. He doesn't steal the spotlight from Mariel, but he's still competent enough that we can trust him to do things. Like having a supporting character like this is such a hard balancing act. And I really want to give Brian credit for having not only Mariel, who is a female character, and that is especially important like back when these books were written, a female leading character who has a male sidekick who would arguably be air quotes stronger because he's got the sword. He's got, you know, I'm from Redwall. I'm the smart one, you know, yada, yada. But he doesn't outshine. Mariel would kick his fucking ass. Exactly, right. <laughs> but like, he compliments her. He helps her. Mm-hmm. He is very useful. And again, Mariel is still the one who very much survives through things because Dandon loses his grip on the sword. He tries to shout out letting bubbles and letting bubbles out instead but mariel hears him she abandons the swallow why did i write sparrow she abandons the swallow and she wonders why their friends aren't pulling them up and while she's doing that she grabs the sword and takes a swipe at the lobster and that gets the lobster to turn on her and allows dandon to free himself the minute he's not being held by the lobster, he's yanked out of the water. So, like, Mariel is the one who turns around and saves Dandon here. Yeah. But Mariel is pulled up right behind Dandon with the lobster stubbornly holding the sword. Several large... Like, the entire time, the lobster is trying to take swipes at them with its huge claws. Yeah, like, just, this thing is a dragon. I love, I love how Brian is able to take normal creatures, and because... Like, again, this is my strongest argument for, like, these animals are roughly the size they should should be, you know, in real life, is the fact that a lobster is, again, like the crab in one of the, in the early books, this is a dragon. This is straight up a dragon. This thing is big, this thing is deadly, and this thing wants to kill and or eat you, mm-hmm. you know? And if I was the size of a mouse and a lobster took a swipe at me, I'd be terrified, this is not only that, but they're in the water. This is a terrifying sequence, and it's very well done. Yeah. Well done. Um. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. I'm so mad Nintendo locked it behind their stupid monthly thing. I want to get the original, damn you. I don't want to pay 50 bucks a year. Fuck you, Nintendo. Um. Okay. Ho, ho, ho. I want to play it on my Switch, though. Actually, wait a minute. I probably hack my DS now. I should look into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the DS is not supported anymore. I will feel no guilt in hacking it because I haven't touched it in two years since I got the Switch. <laughs> two or years hack, or more since hack, I got my Switch. Hack, 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 <laughs> hack. Anyway. Um, in Minecraft, not in real life, right? Wink, wink, wonk, wonk. The, the, the new joke um, is in Fortnite. Oh, Fortnite. Okay. Wink, wink, wonk, wonk. Uh, anyway. The two spit out water and learn what had happened. Furl had dove in and gotten what the sparrow. Happened was, what? What had happened was. What happened? Um, what happened? Say, fellas, did somebody mention the door to darkness? Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Get the fuck off. <laughs> when, <laughs> when things went south, Furl had dove in and gotten the sparrow when things had gone south. And Bobo decided it was time to pull them up. No matter what, we've got to pull them up because they're running out of air. Exactly. Dury had thought of the stones and together with Tarquin had hurled them into the water. Also, side note, how are we supposed to say Tarquin? Is it Tarquin or Tarkin? Tarkin. Well, well, like he said, whoever that the Annan was, I shouldn't assume it was he, whoever they were, the Annan said it made them think of like Governor Tarkin from Star Wars. But I'm, I'm like, I'm saying Tarquin... Tarquin. But I'm the one who's saying Tarkin. Okay, Tarkin, yeah. I've been trying to say Tarquin. I'm the one who's saying Tarkin. Okay. I'm trying to say it Tarquin. Like, I know this probably sounds mental, but to me, like, there is a difference in how I'm saying Tarquin and I would say Tarkin. You know. Um, We're doing our best. If you know how to say Tarquin's name, please tell us and we'll attempt it for the very last recording. Um, (laughs) Anyway. No, I'm going to keep saying Tarkin. Just to spite them. Um, Mariel yes. is very grateful for her friend's bravery. Have a beat. Back at Bobo's cave, they admire the odd blue metal swallow. It's fashioned after a fantail swallow with a hole in the tip of one of the wings. 
A bit of string and some experiments shows the swallow will only point north, just as the rhyme says, a swallow that cannot fly south. With this, they can always find their way northwest. But is it an African swallow or an Asian swallow? Is it laden or unladen? <laughs> Are you suggesting that coconuts migrate? <laughs> and So jokes aside, they <laughs> technically do. <laughs> they do, I know. I know they do. Um... But this also, this is my second tangent where I was curious. I'm like, when, when did compasses become a thing? Because I know people have been using like lodestones and iron for a long time to like, they didn't know what they were doing or they didn't really know about, you know, magnetic north yet, but they still knew that like, oh, if I do this thing with this rock, it always points a certain way. Um, and apparently compasses were coming into use in Europe around the 12th century and it's not, like, super surprising that, you know, these guys wouldn't know what a lodestone is. And um, I just, I really like this whole sequence and what you pointed out, Izzy. What did I point what? out? The sparrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the rare instances of magic being applied to an object that isn't the sword. Yep. I wanted to let you read that out because that was your note. Yeah. Uh, that. They know their next step now. They need a boat. But none of them know how to make a boat. I put book. Why did I put book? Um, or where they get supplies. Baba once again shows his truly kind nature, telling his new friends how he'd set up. He'd seen the gutted and abandoned green fang floating along the shore. She has no mast, nor sails, nor supplies, and is marked by fire, but her hull is sound. And I just put a little question of like, does he know she's a sea rat ship from her name? But then again, how does he know how to read? He was an oar slave for most of his life. And is her name even painted on her anywhere? It could be. And I, it's it's implied that a lot of the ships are real, like much older than like the captains who have them. Yeah. Like they've been currently. around. But also I think it has something to do with the types of ship. Mm-hmm. Not to mention if he was an ore slave, like he was an ore slave before this, so he probably would know how to recognize a sea yeah. rat ship because he was the, on one for most of his life. Yeah, I don't know about the specific ships themselves, but I do know that pirates tended to use smaller, faster ships mm -hmm. where uh, like merchants and like... Uh, the stereotype uh, of the big fat merchant ship, which is even mentioned in this book. Yeah, because they have to have the cargo space. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. They have cargo space, and so they're much larger, and they're not as fast. That's why it's like they take much longer to get places, whereas like a pirate ship can get somewhere like mm -hmm. weeks in advance. Oh, isn't it's so much faster? Aren't they called like sloops? I think so. Like pirate sloop. Um, we are not. Uh, well, Izzy should know. Izzy's a nautical person. Shut po the fuck up! I don't. No, I don't. Hmm. <laughs> That's okay. I'll also have Charles yell at me later because Charles comes from a Navy family too. Um, Hold on. Common pirate ship. Yep, it was sloops. Yay, I was right. You were correct. Thank you. Um, Good job. Thank you. Do I get a gold star? You get a gold star. I got a gold star. Yay. Good job. Good job. Good proud, job. Proud of you. Yeah. Um. <laughs> He'd love if they'd stay, but he knows they're destined to go on adventures he's too old to follow them on. So in the morning, he will lead them to where they're, where he's tied off the boat, off on some rocks. By mid-morning, the MacGyvered ship is out on the tide, and the others hide their tears as they wave goodbye to Babo and Furl. Mariel can only smile, though, as they get underway. I'm just really happy Furl got to be a good guy the whole time through. It just makes me happy. He finally got a good little guy. At the Abbey, military matters have been turned over completely to the hares. Clary gets sentries and regular patrols set up, only excluding Simeon for obvious reasons, and otherwise let the Abbey go about its business as usual. Said business includes a special dinner for the hares and their timely and useful arrival. It's the standard extravagant Redwall fare, three hares and readers, being shown the food by the enthusiastic sister Serena and Gabrielle Quill. And it's very sweet that they're just like, hey, look at our good food. Look at the cool stuff we've got. 
here you go. Here's all a whole bunch of food. And, like, none of them are, like, Han Rosie is described as being, like, more willing to just, ah, tuck food. Yeah, like, like she's excited, but. But it's still not the same as, like, Basil. Yeah. Or, like, Tarkin. Yeah, because, like, like we're, we hear about, like, regular time as being, you know, entertained by Gabriel Quill. Um, you know, he's very happy to have everyone showing him the stuff. Clary's going around saying hello to people. And then it's like, uh, rather, I've always fancied myself with a curly tail. Hi, Rosie. How are you getting on with that jolly old nose bag? What? Han Rosie waved a ladle full of summer cream dip. Whoa! Look at all these dib and chaps doing an impression of us. Time? Very droll. They're an absolute hoot. And then I love that this... every time you mimic her laugh, it's the fucking noblewoman yeah. laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that laugh, okay? Any excuse I have. It's very fun. And it's very cute because Han Rosie needs no such guidance, but is delighted to see the trio of troublemaker Dibbins strutting around with toy longbows and attempting to copy the hare's speech. Oh, they're doing such a fun little job of it. They keep saying pip, pip, pip. Well, please read it out, squirrels. Have some fun. Uh, let me, let me, let me, let me go to the page. Page 275. If we're on the same copy, anyway. we? I think we have the same copy. I think we do. Mine's got the really nice illustration. Yes, 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 yes. Let's see. <laughs> I say, old boy, old thing, old top, pip, pip, and all that. (laughs) What, what, what? Us in Scotland, girt bows and ours, old bean. You jolly well watch out if in you one of them sea rattens, boy, yoki. Rather old scout. What an oot. It's so good. (laughs) Time is just like, yeah, this is very funny. I'm I'm absolutely sure. Yes, I'm going to go continue eating now. Clary isn't quite as amused and suffers the mistake of talking to Burgo, who had a mouthful of boiled garlic pie. It knocks the hair. Garlic. Boiled. Boiled. Boiled garlic. 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 Boiled garlic pie. It knocks the hair clean on his tail. We have. He's just like, oh god, what the fuck? And then we have a pretty uncomfortable moment between Tree Rose and Roof Bush. Where she tries to woo him with the handmade pie. It almost starts to work until she slips and calls him Roofy Woofy. Ugh. And understandably, he's annoyed by this. He gives her the pie back and marches out to do sentry duty. Grub slides up to take the rejected pie as Chiro's pouts. And I really wish Brian would be a bit more clear about the age of the animals. Because I had the impression that Roof was like a full-on adult. And Primrose is, like, the same weird intermediate. She's, like, she's not a Dibbon. She's kind of a teenager, but she's not an adult yet. She's still, like, kind of in that kid category. And she's way too young for Roof. And it's, like, that's why he keeps giving her the stern, cold shoulder. She's too young for him. So the way that I keep uh, interpreting it is that they're both teenagers, but... It's like the difference between a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old. Yeah, that's a little more. Yeah, that I'm a little more okay with. Like, it's still kind of... It's still like, because there's such a, a... When you're 14 and 17, like, to us now as adults, it's like, okay, that's like, what, three years? That's not a whole lot of time yeah. for us as adults. Yeah. Like, but for a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old, that is a massive distance in experience your brain does a lot of maturing and changing like i i don't know if i've shared the story on the podcast before but like my freshman year of uh high school we had like in our group we were like the weird like we didn't really fit in anywhere so we just kind of congregated together there was like anime nerds the not quite jocks the one goth kid the one girl who wanted to be a prep but wasn't quite rich enough to be so you know and the one senior football player (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we some, he what? was an otaku so he hung out with us and i call him an otaku on purpose because it's not oh, a compliment he was a weirdo. huh he was a weirdo oh yeah and he liked me he wrote his phone Ew. number in my uh yearbook and mom said you're yes. not calling him i'm like don't worry i don't intend to 
He did give me a Shishomaru plushie, which I still have, but <laughs> I don't keep it because of him, that's for sure. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's, yeah, he would, he like, he would come and visit us after he graduated. Like, the next year, he would just, like, come have lunch with us sometimes when he was done with work. It's like, why are you here? Um, anyway, Mellis, the abbot, and Simeon are enjoying the meal together when Clary joins them. They express their gratitude, and Clary sets it aside as a simple duty. Mellis again brings up her wish to save the ore slaves. The abbot tries to dissuade her, but she presses, and Clary, being the good creature he is, gives in. He'll see what he and the other two can think up. And I like the fact that he points out, ma'am, you are a badger. And because of that, he has been raised his entire life to view badgers as the ultimate rule. They are the boss. They are the ones who give the orders and she's a badger. So of course he's going to obey her. Ma'am, you're the white lady. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the vibes. Uh, is that a, okay, sorry. Are we, are we making a reference to something here or like you just calling her white? I'm just saying like, she's the like rich white lady. Okay. Well, she, it's like, well, we need to save these poor people. It's like, we can't save them if we can't save ourselves, you know? Mellis laments a bit over all the things she has to worry about, letting slip that Mariel had been there, letting Clary know that Storm had found her real name and her way back to who she was. And good for her, he says. I like that he's like, man, I wouldn't mind being out questing with her right now. Um, and then he fucks off. Yep, because before Mellis can scold, he heads off to make more friends. <laughs> Simeon calls her out on her manipulation of the hair, and she counters angrily. What is she supposed to do? Ignore the creatures in misery while she sits safely in the abbey? Which, kind of, yes at the moment, but Simeon acquiesces, saying if he could see them, he would likely be calling for their rescue as well. And it's just, I I, I do still like Melis. Like, she makes me angry, she makes me annoyed, but I like her because she's very different from the badgers that we've had so far because she's, like you said, she's a white woman. She's She's good at that subtle manipulation and getting people to do what she wants. And then when she gets it, she's like, oh no. Yeah, I messed up. Whatever happened? Who could have predicted this? The abbot? <laughs> right? Simeon too? Anyway. Clary? Clary? Everyone's telling her, hey, ma'am, this is a bad idea. And she's like, but the slaves, we must help them. And, and it's like it's noble to want to do that. I yeah. don't want to don't want it to seem like we're coming off like it's a bad thing no. to want to save them. But in these kinds of situations, like we're gonna see as this situation continues to uh, 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 build, like it's not a good idea. It's it's the right thing to do at the wrong time. Yeah. Like, we're not saying that she's in the wrong here as far as, like, what she wants to do to protect them. It's just the way she goes about it and the way she ignores the fact that, like, again, Clary is supposed to be the one who knows the military things and she's not respecting his knowledge. Um, and it, it leads to a rather dire circumstance. Um, yep. But for now, later that night, the three hares sneak out of the abbey with only lances in hand. Two will distract the rats, the third will rescue a couple of slaves and bolt for the abbey. It's a simple plan. And I definitely like that they're only going, they're, they're not trying to do an all or nothing rescue right off the bat. They're being careful about it. They're being smart about it because if this works, they could sneak in and take a couple different slaves depending on what happens, you know, like, they're still feeling things out. They're figuring out what are their options here. And they're outnumbered. And they're outnumbered. Like, I like this. This is Brian really showing, you know, some milit like he did some military research here or just tactics research. It's a good moment. Um, and at the rat camp, Grey Patch is murderously annoyed with his whole crew. He throws insults, just hoping for one to speak up so he can kill them and let the anger at their route out. Three voices do start speaking up, hurling insults back at him. He dashes through his crew, trying to see who's doing it. 
going so far as to grab and throttle the innocent dead glim. Which is kind of mean because the name dead glim basically means this this guy doesn't have brains. This is just some poor dumb rat. Literally, like... I mean, they're all named like that. Right. But, like, specifically Dead Glim. Like, I'm sorry, sir. How stupid were you to get that name? (laughs) Or how much did your mother not, like, trust that you would grow up smart? Like, Jesus. When Frank, his friend, dashes to save him, he's tripped by Big Fang, who's then slapped by Fishgill, who's kicked from behind and whirls to punch Lardgut. It wasn't Lardgut who did the kick. No. Um, None of them did any of this. Nope. Daggers are drawn and fights break out all over the camp. It is, of course, the hares causing the chaos. Darting in and out like shadows to hurl insults and punches. And again, this is a trope that Brian very much loves and I don't blame him. It is a fun trope. And it's it's a hare tactic, mm-hmm. specifically. The hares will, they're fast enough that they can do this. Mm-hmm. And also, they just enjoy causing problems on purpose. I mean... Until... Until... Until Rosie blows it all with one of her whooping laughs. Everything stops dead and Grey Patch catches on. Like, I love that mental image of, like, you know, like, when you're watching a show or a movie and, like, people are fighting and then, like, There's everyone... There's dust cloud. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then like, when the dust cloud clears and everyone's frozen, you've got, like, the one guy getting ready to punch another, another guy's in the middle of a throttle hold, another guy's just kind of passed out, the other one's probably got, like, a weapon they're about to bash somebody with, just, like, everyone freezing and going, like, huh? The hair's... And then book- one person is, oh. like... Oh, it's them. And like the one person who was getting ready to punch the other guy like punches him again before letting him. Yeah, just for good measure. (laughs) (laughs) The hares book it and the ruse works. Two young slaves have been freed. Their disappearance not to be noticed until the morning. I am a little sad that like we don't really get the humanization of the ore slaves this time around like we had in. um, Was it just the last book? Yeah, it was. It was, in, it was yeah, Madame Ale. Because like he does a really good job of like, well, air quotes, humanizing the the former slaves. Um, they get their humanization pretty quickly, though. Yeah, that's true. Like, well, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of chances to give them humanization, but he still gives it to them. Whereas the ore slaves, we don't even really get any names for any of them. We get the species they are, but no names. Um, we get names later for different ones. It, yeah. I think it just depends on, like, the context of the the current scene. Yeah, like, the importance of the character. Like, these slaves are pretty much just, um, they're a reason to get, like, to be blunt, they're a reason to get the three hairs out of the way so we can have more. Because, like, if the hairs stay, they're going to be too competent and the bad things that need to happen at the end can't happen, kind of a thing. Exactly. Um, which, again, Brian does a really good job in this book. He really does. Um, yeah, all the plots weave together very nicely. And speaking of the plots, we open the next chapter with Captain Flaga of the Rathelm. I hate that name. I hate it. Do you know how badly I keep wanting to say Rathelm? <laughs> the Rathelm. He's returned to Terramort, armed to the teeth along with his crew. He knew Gabul of old, and he knows the current Gabul is not the same beast. No, when they finally see the Warlord, he's shocked to see how far into madness the Warlord has slipped. Dirty clothes, ruined jewelry, and eyes bloodshot from lack of sleep. About the only thing that's the same is his teeth that are still white and gleaming with the emeralds put in him. Um, Flagga is hesitant. Is this true madness or a stunt Gabul is pulling for some arcane reason? However, when Gabul addresses him, the madness is pretty much confirmed. Gabul thinks he's Greypatch. He won't take a word otherwise. Flagga tries to prove him wrong, and we see how Gabul has time and events all mixed up. He's forgotten he's killed Saltaire, but he does remember lying to the other rats about the treasure in the Dark Queen. Flagga decides to play along with the Mad Rat, and Gabul reveals he has treasure he wants to share. Wary, but more greedy than cautious, Flagga keeps playing along. He leaves his crew behind, following the mad but still crafty Gabul. Yeah, we get a confirmation that, like, yeah, Gabul may be, like, losing it, but he still remembers each ship that is currently out and their captains. Yeah. And it's, 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 I like how he also shows, like, Brian here shows that, like, the main weakness of the sea rats, whereas, like, I'd say, like, each villain has had, like, a different weakness, like, with um, Sarmina, it was pride, 
And with Clooney, it was arrogance. And now with just the, all of the sea rats in this book, it's greed. It's greed is the big weakness. Greed for the bell, greed for the power, greed for gold, greed for food. They, this is the thing that keeps, like, it's their self-defeating weakness that keeps, you know, coming around to bite them in the butt. Slag Slagger's uh, weakness was his hubris. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, he's mad. I can take him if he's lying. And if I, if I, if I, it's like, it's a case of like, if he's lying to me, I can take him. If he's not, I get gold, you know? So he's, yeah. so Gabul has taken Flaga to the underground cell, revealing the hole that contains Scrablag. Not that Flaga knows it. Gabul convinces him that down there is the treasure. They can both run and jump in together, enjoying it like the old friends they are, right? Flaga falls for it. He jumps into the hole while Gabul jumps clean over. It's a like before the before he uh, Gabul manages to convince him. Flaga was like hanging out like in the doorway. He had not even come into the room. Yeah, like because he was like, "Is Gabul gonna push me into that hole?" Uh huh. Like I don't like this. I don't trust this. Hmm. Uh, but Gabul like takes his hand and like runs with him. And then let's go as they jump. So he jumps over and Flaga jumps in. It's revealed that Scrablag is indeed a scorpion. And Gab Kit was right. Yep. Yeah. And Gabool thinks he's kept his promise to feed Greybash to him, laughing madly at the doomed Flaga's terror. And um, this is more like, I don't know how else to describe this other than like, if this had been an 80s child movie, this would be the scene that traumatized everyone. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is like the the secret of Nim level. Like, uh -huh. Oh my god. If this was in a Don Bluth movie, this would not have uh -uh. no holds barred. He would have like rotoscoped the Scorpion, giving it that extra layer of uncanny valley. And the thing is, is like scorpions are not that much bigger than mice and rats. No, but Because mice and rats will eat scorpions, but they're still deadly. Very. I mean, there's that one little scorpion mouse who howls, you know, <laughs> or the wolf mouse. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you ever want to see a cool little critter, look up a wolf mouse. Um. listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr at Abbey Archives and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post-Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout-inspired audio drama.